0: This is episode 69 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tanmore Events Podcast. We're finishing up the 2011 Annual Enrichment Conference, Choose to Love or Die. This is session six, Wednesday night with Dave Anderson. It has been a blessed time. Amen? Amen. Have you had a good time? Has the food been good? Let's thank those who are serving. Yeah. Thank you, Frank, sound team, video, all you helped out. Uh, and just the team who helped put this together. I know there's a lot that goes into this, and I don't want to be the one. Maybe Mark's going to do this in a minute. But let's just give a round of applause and thanks for those who put this together and put all the work into this. <laughs> That's right. There's a, just an enormous amount of time and energy, the energy that goes into these uh, types of conferences, and so, yeah, those of you who have helped out and served, we thank you. We are going to be looking at our final session tonight, the motivation for love, the motivation for love, and uh, as we begin, uh, please just join me in a word of prayer. Father, we are Deeply satisfied in you. Our bodies are satisfied, but our souls are satisfied as we have feasted on you. We thank you for the words we've heard, the things we've seen, the songs we've sung uh, this week. Lord, I pray that you would just continue your ministry of rejuvenation as we get ready to close up things and head back tonight or tomorrow would you just continue to move your people and call your people and give them a vision and understanding a knowledge of your love the dimensions of your love and tonight lord we just ask for clarity into the motivating power of love it's in jesus name we pray Amen. A uh, number of years ago, when I was in uh, undergraduate, uh, we were hanging out, my roommates and I. And just a little tidbit about me: I love cheeseburgers. Uh, and I'm sorry to talk about food; you just got done eating. But uh, wherever I go, whenever I get a chance to travel, I'll always ask people about just if there's any good places to have a burger and. And a uh, number of years ago, when when uh, my roommates and I were serving at a camp in California, Mount Herman, we got acquainted with In-N-Out Burger. Yeah. All right. Whoa. All right. I hit a sweet spot. And uh, anyway, I just just fell in love with it. And uh, anyway, we're back in college a year later or so, and and uh, I don't do this now. I go to bed quite quite embarrassing embarrassingly early. But uh then I would stay up till late in the night, early in the morning. And it was one of those nights we were up very late, one in the morning or so, two in the morning, and and someone said, Ah, I can go for a a burger. And uh and someone else said, Oh, what about an in-and-out burger right now? And uh we just said, oh man, that sounds good. And then you know we all kind of stopped and looked at one another and thought, what if we just left? Right now. Now the closest one to Denver, Colorado is Las Vegas. <laughs> and we thought this is too ridiculous. We, you know, let's just, it was one of those, ha ha, that'd be nice, cute, it'd be great to have a burger right now, but but it's 12 hours away. And so someone, some wise guy said, Let's cast lots, you know, let's try to make this sanctimonious and holy and bring this before the bring this decision before the Lord. And so you pulled out a quarter, all right. Heads we go, tails we stay, he flips it, heads, so let's do two out of three. (laughs) All right, so he flips it again, it's tails, flips it the third time and I'll never forget it, it landed right on its side and it rolled the length of our apartment here to the projector and you know just rolled and then came to a complete stop, heads. We all kind of looked at each other like, are we actually going to leave for Las Vegas right now? It's 2 in the morning. And I love this about college, but we actually rounded up about 8 other people. Hey, what are you going? <laughs> two car loads. We're listening to Weezer driving to uh, uh, Las Vegas. We get there 12 hours later, and uh, uh, it's, a, you know, it's about noon, 1 o'clock. And... Uh, have our feast, you know, lay underneath the two palm trees and just praise the Lord for sunshine and burgers, and uh, had our fill, and literally about 20 minutes later, got in the car and headed straight back. It's about a 24-hour trip, (laughs) there and back. Talking about motivation and what, what causes people to do such things, how are we motivated? What motivates you? For the long haul in Christian ministry. Another story, I don't know why I thought of this uh, today, but uh, <laughs> I, I come from the country. And you can't see it from here, but I do have a little red behind my neck. I grew up on a kind of a farm. And when I came out to school, a lot of my friends were snowboarders and skaters. And uh, we said one day, we would just love to go ride a bull. And uh, I have cowboy boots, uh, not on right now, but I. I was kind of evangelizing my friends, saying, you guys need to come my way. So we listened to Charlie Daniels, and we drove to uh, uh, this place outside of Denver where you can pay $15 and sign your life away and ride a bull. I'm not kidding. The sheet is, uh, it's like, there's, you know, fine print. There's a good chance you will die riding this bull. We take Visa or MasterCard and sign on the dotted line, and we're like, okay, yeah, here you go. And I'll never forget a bunch of cowboys. It was actually a little arena. It was like a little. People actually came and sat in the grandstands, and and uh, there's about 15 other yahoos who were ready to, you know, put the mask on and the hat on. And and I'll never forget this because my number was like 11 or something like that. And they call the, the bull. And there's all these bulls huffing and puffing in the gate, and, and uh, they call a number, and then you, you know, you jump up and the shoot, and off you go. And so number 11, Powerball, was the name of my bull. And so I thought, oh, Lord, this sounded so fun when we were driving here and cute. (laughs) And I got on my little string bean legs around this massive bull and its horns were uh, cut off. And I was asking the guy, just in a nervous voice, uh, why are his horns cut off? And he said... Well, because these kind of bulls gore people. Qu- I'm quoting scripture, I'm, 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 singing songs, and my, you know, and uh, I get on this bull, and I kid you not, here I am, and you know, leather tight, and I'm doing all these things I've seen on ESPN three, and got my hat on and my boots on, and and people are looking at me like that that kid is too skinny to ride a bull, and he, people, it wasn't like, oh, this, what's he going to pull, you know, it's like, I hope this kid doesn't really hurt himself, and I asked the guy who was helping me, a real nice guy, who was kind of getting me situated and and looking at me like, you don't know what you're doing, boy, I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm doing either, and I asked him the question, I said, what's the probability of? I don't know why I turned to math in such a situation, but what's the probability of me getting hurt doing this? And he said with a southern drawl, well, the, the gentleman went before you, broke his arm. True. Man before him was all right, I suppose. Guy before him, I think he broke his thumb. Literally, this just happened. I suppose you're looking at about a 50-50 chance as the chutes open up and I go flying out and the rodeo clown helped me get off and I was scared to death. Again, I'm not sure why I just told you that story, but thinking about motivation and ministry and... and, uh, (laughs) You know, as you're, just to stretch this metaphor a little bit, as you're in ministry, many of you have been in ministry for decades, you're in the arena, uh, there's a chance, It doesn't mean it will happen, but you might get injured. If you're on the grandstands, so to speak, you probably won't get hurt. But when you're in it, you might get hurt. It might happen. So the question then becomes, what keeps us in the arena? What, what keeps us going uh, for the long haul? I'm interested in this. Young man, I want to serve the Lord faithfully. I don't want want to bring reproach on the name of Christ when I'm in my 60s. I want to be faithful to the end. What's the motivation? How do we last? For Christians in ministry, the primary answer needs to be love. We need to be motivated by love. this this outline, just to give you a framework as we move through it, is threefold. Christ's love for us, our love for Christ, and love for others. And by far the most important point, these are not all equal, is the first one, being motivated by Christ's love for us. In In a most interesting passage, Second 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says something astounding, frankly. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, and for their sake died and was raised. Now, I just want you to note that the apostle is not speaking about his love for Christ. He's not. This is about Christ's love for him. He never ceased to be amazed at Christ's love for sinners as it was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. He's taken by it. He's gripped by it. One missionary who carries the same overtones of the apostle here wrote, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. It's like the hymn we sang just a few nights ago. Isaac Watts, when I survey the wondrous cross, and you know those words, love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In a prayer, I I don't want to rank the importance of prayers in the Bible, but this one, if you did rank it, ranks up at the top of them. When Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, he prays for the, for the church. You can just feel the emotion. He wants them to get the gospel. He wants them so badly to understand God's love for them. And he prays this, that you may have strength, because we need strength to do it, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love. And to know, it's an emotional know, to know not just in our minds, but in our hearts, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Uh, maybe you've heard this story of the l- legendary football coach, Vince Lombardi. And Lombardi, he was notorious for doing this On the first day of practice he would bring all his uh, players around. Take a knee. They would all take a knee and bend down and he would hold up a football. First day of practice. And he would say to them, I mean these guys, big guys, have been playing football their whole lives. All they know is football hold up a football and he'd say, this is a football. And then Lombardi would just kind of proceed to go through the very basic, very elementary principles of the game of football. That's what the apostle I feel does here. He gets back to the basics like Lee Iacocca said, let's keep the main thing the main thing. This is the main thing, God's love and the gospel. The cross of Christ. Paul boasts in it. One of my favorite quotes, another quote for you. John Stott, The Cross of Christ. Marvelous book. He says this. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? That lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty. Plunged in God-forsaken darkness, that's the God for me, Stad says. He laid aside his immunity to pain, he entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death, he suffered for us. He loves you deeply. Do we know it? Do we feel it? Do we get it? Do we believe it? Do we trust him? Methodist preacher, Pastor William Alfred Quayle, uh, recorded a conversation that he had with a horseback riding frontier preacher to the North American settlers during the eighteen hundreds and the pioneering missionary said to Quayle these words. I feel the foes of the heathen. I know the bitter barrenness of their lives, but this would not suffice to keep me among them. One gets used to heathenism and grows callous to its desperate tragedy. Not the love of man sufficeth to keep me away from my wife and from my children through these years only the love of Christ is competent. There's a man who's gripped by the gospel. He's gripped by the dimensions of the love of Christ. Nothing else could keep me away from my wife and my kids. I love them. Only the love of Christ has the power to motivate me, he says. Uh, Ian Murray in his uh, two-volume biography of the doctor Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says of Lloyd-Jones, here's a man who... Uh, had a tremendous influence in England. He leaves his prestigious medical career to preach the word. And Murray says this, he came to see the love of God expressed in the death of Christ in a way which overwhelmed him. He was overwhelmed with the love of Christ. Hope McDonald, missionary to Brazil, Tells of her realization of God's love. <laughs> Listen to what she says. It's precious. I saw for the first time the ancient truth: we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4:19. How had I overlooked it? I had memorized that verse before I started school. As the reality of his love for me. Engulfed me for the first time. I wanted to get out of bed and jump for joy. <laughs> I wanted to climb to the top of the roof and shout to the world, Wake Up! God loves me. It was a moment I'll never forget, and since then, quote, I have never doubted his love for me. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, founder of the China Inland Mission, now overseas missions. Fellowship says, if money could motivate the merchants of England to cross death-defying oceans and enter the interior of China at great personal risk of the loss of life, could not the love of Christ motivate the missionaries to do the same for the sake of the gospel? It's good logic. If people can be motivated by money to go to the far-off regions of the world Cannot, is, it, is it possible, is it within the realm of possibility that somebody might go into the inner city of Portland for the sake of the gospel because of the love of Christ and have that love keep them there? We need to soak in the love of Jesus. We need it. We need it. It's the motivating power of ministry. 2 Timothy 2.1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's how you, that's how you keep going. Again, I'm a young man. I'm in, in, I'm in ministry. But that's what the Word of God says. That's the motivation, the grace of God, the love of God. That's the motivating power. That's what strengthens. That's what causes us to persevere. It's the gospel. One of my favorite authors... It's Jerry Bridges, written a number of books on the Christian life, and uh, Jerry has kind of become famous for coining this phrase, although it's not original with him. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach it to yourself. We struggle to believe it. From from theology to reality, we preach it to ourselves. Remember Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, uh, Spiritual Depression, Said the the cause for much of our spiritual depression is because we're listening to ourselves and we're not preaching to ourselves. You know, quotes the psalm, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And there's a sense in which the Christian has to preach to himself and to herself these are the truths of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are beloved. I am beloved. We preach this to ourselves. Sorry, I keep quoting him, but D.A. Carson tells a story that I'll never forget. He says, so you wake up and it's a miserable day. Clouds, rain, the alarm didn't work, you're late, your spouse is grumpy, you can't find clean socks. You dash into the car after a sip of orange juice, you didn't get a decent breakfast. You know your boss is gonna growl at you you put the key into the ignition. You knew you should have gotten the battery fixed, but you didn't. You eventually get to work late. You get chewed out. You get a notice that there's layoffs in the company, hard economic times. You have a couple different difficult situations. Someone says something to you, you nearly bite their head off. It's a miserable day. You get home, There's a note, find day-old lasagna in the fridge if you want it. You see the kids a little later, they're in bad moods. And that night when you get down to pray, it sounds like this. Dear Heavenly Father, this has been a rotten day. I haven't reacted very well, but it has been a rotten day and I'll try to do better tomorrow. Bless everybody in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And then there are other days. You wake up, had a good night's sleep. (laughs) Birds are singing, the air is fresh, it's clean. You know this one's gonna be a winner. You get up to see all your clothes are laid out for you and the smell of bacon, praise the Lord for the smell of bacon coming from the kitchen. You have a great, (laughs) amen. You have a great breakfast, you get out, start your car, vroom! Get to work early. Boss notices, commends you. Says, you know, after all, we're expanding our division. You might be interested in being a manager. You smile at everyone. You share the gospel with folks at the drinking fountain. (laughs) Get home to a great meal. Kids are angels. House is clean. Have devotions with your family. Go to bed. And That night, your prayers sound like this eternal and majestic Heavenly Father. (laughs) In the fullness of your grace, I bow before you at the end of this day and thank you for the magnificence of all your faithful blessing upon me, your humble servant. And Pretty soon you find yourself in prayers for for cousins and relatives twice removed and the gospel going out to Africa and the nations and you end your prayer and you go to bed justified. And Carson says this, and you've been an utter pagan both times because you have the amazing audacity to enter the presence of a holy God on the basis of what kind of day you've had. Could anything be more demeaning of grace could anything be more destructive to justification? I was online looking at uh, truefaced.com. I don't know if it's still there, but the front right homepage. it read this. What if I tell you there are no lists? What if I tell you that I don't keep a log of past offenses, of how little you pray, how often You've let me down, made promises you didn't keep. What if I tell you you are righteous with my righteousness right now? I'm guessing that for many of you that feels good. To to hear that, it, it, it feels like good news, doesn't it? Because it is good news. We need to be reminded of that. We need to to live there, preach that to ourselves, be motivated by the grace and love of Jesus. That is the power, the sustaining power for ministry. Again, I'm not clever enough to come up with nifty ideas. I'm not, this is just God's word, and that's what it says. We need to live in the good of the gospel. All right, point number two. Motivated by love for Christ. Motivated by love for Christ. See, knowing Christ's love, it, it, when it soaks in, it compels us to love him. Now, I, I want to be very clear. Because if we reverse point one and point two, we get all jacked up. It, it messes everything up. If it's about me and my love for Christ, it's backwards. It, It turns into legalism, really. So just be clear that this is about number one. Once we are established in grace and are living in his justification, regardless of what kind of day we've had, once we soak in that, we are motivated to love Christ. So just remember that. Our Lord says the greatest and first commandment to love God with the totality of your being, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. I mentioned that, that uh, and I'm not telling you something you don't know, but caring for God's people is, is it just is messy. In my limited experience, it's been, it is messy. The very people we pour our lives into are, are not, it's not always a pleasant experience. They can turn their back on us, be malicious, say things that are just damaging, be unreasonable, demanding, ungrateful. Think of Moses and David, two two, two of the most godly leaders, and yet at one time or another, their followers wanted to kill them. (laughs) There was an elder that told uh, Alex, my mentor, uh, how he had experienced numerous abuses during his years as a... Uh, elder in a local church, he had been physically choked, punched, had his jaw broken. Some of you are like, amen. (laughs) Been spit on, cursed at, falsely accused, threatened with a lawsuit. It actually, this honestly explains why so many people are are just like, I don't want to be a part of that. I'm done with this. Explains why so many workers are disillusioned, bitter. And they leave the work of the Lord because they don't have this kind of vision and motivation. But see, when our service is motivated by love for Christ, we'll be better able to persevere. Amen? When it's not about what happens to us, but our love for Christ, it pushes us on. Oswald Chambers says it so well. He says, the work of feeding and tending sheep is hard work, arduous work, and love for the sheep alone will not do it. You must have a consuming love for the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he will flow through you in a passion of love and draw men to himself. Amen? So the key to endurance in these kind of roles is to serve out of love for Christ. Not love for people, which we'll get to, that's another motivation. But oftentimes we'll be met with, you know, more gratitude for a dog than for us. So if our motivation is is feedback from people, it's discouraging in a heartbeat. But if our motivation is love for Christ, it pushes us and prods us on. Lastly, motivated by love for people. You know, we're called to love people. This can also be a motivation as well. Amy Carmichael, you've heard of Amy Carmichael. What, What a privilege it would have been to meet her. It was actually said of her, the love of God within her was so powerful a magnet that all through her life, others were drawn irresistibly to her. It was little wonder that the Hindus began to call her Literally, they called her this, the child-catching Missy (laughs) Amal. They truly believed that she used some mysterious powder which drugged their children and made them long to be near her. They were just drawn to her. Hours before his death, Jesus gave his disciples what we've been repeating over and over again, I think in every session, the new commandment. The new commandment, I give you this, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Jesus gives his own example of love. Just if you're wondering, that's foggy, I don't know what that means. It's just do what Jesus did. He sets an example and he washes their feet and says, now you do likewise. Not that we need to maintain foot washing, that's nothing wrong with that, but. It's think of ways to do that. That's the commandment Jesus gives. So yeah, we don't do foot washing anymore. What do you do? It's clear we're to do it. If it's not foot washing, then what is it? How are we practicing this love, this self-sacrificing love? That's what the New Testament church is to be characterized. We're not a business, we're not the army, we're not a corporation. We're a laboratory of love, full of messy people and problems and sin and backbiting. So Jesus gives him a new commandment. Do this in your churches, in your assemblies. John says, by this we know that he laid down his life for us. We also have to lay down our lives for the brothers. Are, are you starting to see it? I, I don't want to just go over this again and again. Are you starting to see it, though? That it's self sacrificing love. B.B. Warfield put it this way. He says, self sacrificing love is thus made the essence of the Christian life. What's the essence of the Christian life? Self denying, self sacrificing love. Do you see it? Paul is such a great example of this. To the Corinthians, <laughs> it says, I, I seek not what is yours, but you. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What precious words. I just want to say this as, as a propositional truth. The people under your care, and your family, they need love. They need it story of two brothers who planted a church, and uh, soon after they, they planted this church, they had a, a time, q and A, a Q&A time. They invited the assembly together and, and just opened it up to questions. And uh, during this time, there was a young lady, she had just recently gotten saved, just a young baby convert, new in the Lord. And she raised her hand and said, yes. And she asked him this question would you be willing to die for me?" Her question sort of caught them off guard. and They kind of fumbled around and they didn't want to respond flippantly and so they told her they actually need to examine our hearts first before we respond honestly to see if they did love her that much. Then after they did that they would answer her but her question is actually a biblical question. Would you be willing to die for me? Someone in your assembly says this to you. Would you be willing to die for me? I just want to close with a story. Uh, It's a story Alex tells in one of his books, uh, Leading with Love but the story that uh, evangelist D.L. Moody had in his encounter with love. It's a, it's a powerful story. Of course, Moody's the sort of the Billy Graham of the 19th century. And he tells about his own life-changing encounter with the doctrine of love. And uh, the encounter began when, when a 27-year-old British evangelist named Henry Morehouse preached at D.L. Moody's church for a week. When Moody was in London, Morehouse told him he wanted to come to America and preach at his church. (laughs) Moody just sort of blew him off. That's nice. Thank you. Well, after some time, Morehouse wrote to Moody and told him he was coming in two weeks. And Moody told his deacons, because he was going to be gone, uh, you know what, have him preach on Wednesday. And uh, if he's any good, have him preach on on Friday night. And uh, to everyone's surprise... Henry Morehouse, this 27-year-old, preached seven sermons in a row on John 3.16 to prove that God so loved the world. He preached the love of of God from from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And D.L. Moody's son actually records his father's description of the spiritual impact of Henry Morehouse's Preaching, he says this. He says, For six days or six nights, he had preached on this one text. And the seventh night came, and he went into the pulpit, and every eye was on him. He said, Beloved friends, I've been hunting all day for a new text, but I cannot find anything so good as the old one. So we'll go back to the third chapter of John and the 16th verse. And he preached the seventh sermon from those wonderful words God so loved the world he says i remember the end of that sermon (laughs) my friends he said for a whole week i've been trying to tell you how much god loves you but i cannot do it with this poor stammering tongue If i could borrow jacob's ladder and climb up into heaven and ask gabriel who stands in the presence of the almighty to tell me how much love the Father has for the world. All he could say would be: God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Moody says he couldn't hold back the tears. As Morehouse preached on the love of God and sending his own son to die for sinners. And he confessed, Moody said, I never knew up to that time that God loved us so much. This heart of mine began to thaw out. I couldn't keep back the tears. It was like news from a far country. I just drank it in. And so did the crowded congregation. I tell you, there is one thing that draws people above everything else in the world and that's love. As a result of Morehouse's influence, Moody began to take up and study the doctrine of love. This reportedly changed his life and his preaching. He later said, I took up that word love. I I, I do not know how many weeks I spent in studying the passages in which it occurs till at last I could not help loving people i have been feeding on love so long that I was anxious to do everybody good I came in contact with. I got full of it. It ran out my fingers. He says this. He says, you take up the subject of love in the Bible. You will get so full of it that all you've got to do is open your lips and a flood of the love of God flows out upon the meeting. There's no use, listen to these words and listen closely, There is no use trying to do church work without love. A doctor, a lawyer, may do good work without love, but God's work cannot be done without love. My brothers and sisters, I commend to you the deep, deep fountain of God's love for you. Let's pray. Who are we that you would love us like this? We thank you for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ where we see demonstrated your love for us. Thank you.